Good morning, family. How are we doing today? Good. Glad to hear that. My name is Josue. For those of you that do not know me, I'm one of the elders here at the Grove Church, and uh, every time I get to preach, it is just such a joy and honor and privilege to do so. And, uh, and I firmly believe that today we will come to a familiar story, and we'll find some very unfamiliar things in it. Um, and so my hope is that today's text would allow us to be stirred up, to be convicted, um, to go and have deeper faith in Jesus. Ultimately, one of the questions he asks Martha is, do you believe this? And that is a question that I want you to keep with you as we journey through this text is, do you believe this? Because we know the end of this story, right? Lazarus rises from the dead, Jesus resurrects him. But in the context of the story, they did not know that that's what was going to happen. And so today we encounter uh, many different characters. And so as we journey through this text, look at the characters, pay attention to how they act, how they react, the kind of words that they say to Jesus. And the one thing that we will see throughout the entire story is that Jesus does not rebuke them. In fact, he invites them into deeper faith. And John is very purposeful with every single detail in this text. Now, we have 44, 44 verses, so if I go a minute a verse, that gives us at 44 minutes. So you guys hold on. I'm not going to do a minute a verse, so it's okay. I'll try to keep it short as possible, but we're going to spend a lot of time in the first few verses of this text because it's going to set up the, um, the scene, and it's going to set us up for, the rest of the t- for us to understand the rest of the text, and there will be some things that we will have to kind of rush through or skim through, so if you have questions about that afterward, please find me. I'd love to grab lunch and talk to you about it or shoot me an email. I'd love to follow up with you about it so that just know up front that there are going to be some things that we will not be able to really address through this text, but there are some things that are very important and very vital for us to understand from this text that John points out through all his details. And so that's what we're going to do today. A few weeks ago, I emailed you guys and we were all challenged to pray throughout the week. And uh, three of the families that I had the opportunity to pray for, I told you, uh, we're all in the hospital for different reasons. One of the first family that I was able to pray for on that Tuesday, they were giving birth to their second baby boy. So they're celebrating new life. Second family, the husband and the wife both ended up in the hospital and were both being tested for different reasons. Didn't understand or know why they were there. And the third family is one of our brothers uh, that's in a church in town. He passed away. And so they were left, the church and the family was left mourning, right? We know that he went to be with Jesus, but yet there was a lot of pain, a lot of probably questions, a lot of anger. He left his children behind who will have to grow up and ask, Lord, why did you take my daddy from me? And that's the context of today's story. There's no way for me to make light of this story. We're in the context of death, probably the worst thing we can face. And yet Jesus would say, no, it's not because I have life to give you. And that's what I want to ask you today is, do you really believe that Jesus is life? Do you really believe that he is the resurrection? Because if we do, we will radically be shifted and changed to think differently, to approach life differently. Last week, we saw that our words and our works ultimately reveal our identity. They reveal what we believe. And this week, I believe that our prayers and our proclamations will actually reveal our unbelief. What if the things that you are asking for actually reveal more about what you don't believe about Jesus than what you actually believe about Jesus? You may be saying, but brother, I believe in Jesus. Brother, I do too. Sister, I do as well. But as I was journeying through this text and had to confront myself, what am I asking for from God? I had to look at this text and realize that maybe what I'm asking for from God is not what he wants to give me. Yet he's going to give me exactly what I need, and we're going to find that in today's text. 
So I want to give you something today to take with you. And it is this. You guys know I like to do this with some of my sermons, but I want to give you three letters to go with you, okay? These three letters are pretty familiar to some of us. And these three letters are BFF, okay? So you're probably looking around and saying, I know who my BFF is, Lance, you know? But um, <laughs> I love you, brother. But, <laughs> but these letters are not going to be quite what you think it means. So for those of you that don't know, this hashtag, some of the older generations are like, that's the pound sign, why do you put letters past that, you know? But um, the younger generations do, and you have this hashtag, the pound sign with BFF, and it means best friends forever. Um, and today, I want, to, I want to give you these three letters to take with you because as you navigate this week and the next few weeks and the next few months, um, I want you to be able to look back at today's text and be reminded that there are three things that ultimately God is pointing us to in this text. And so I'm going to expand on that as we go along. So just if you're making notes on the right side uh, of your page, just put BFF, stack it, and I'll, I'll define that for us as we go along. So let's go ahead and get into the text, John 11, 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the first thing that John points out to us is that this wasn't just anybody. This wasn't just some random person that had been following Jesus or had heard about Jesus. Uh, in fact, he will talk about her anointing his feet, uh, Mary anointing his feet in the next chapter. Um, but what he's pointing out for us is that she had a deep relationship with him. Jesus had a deep relationship with his family. It wasn't just some random person. And so Jesus had a deep relationship with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And it was somebody that was very, very dear to his heart, somebody that he valued a lot. Now, if we know a little bit about Martha and Mary and Luke, we are told that Jesus goes to their home, and from this text, we would assume he goes to their home often, and when he shows up to the house, we find Martha and Mary in two different postures. Martha is busy working, trying to do things, trying to be hospitable, get things in order for Jesus, and where do we find Mary? We find Mary at the feet of Jesus, listening to words of life. And Martha complains to Jesus and says, Jesus, tell her to come help me. I'm trying to do everything by myself. And Jesus basically says to her, Mary has chosen the better thing. Many of us are probably busy doing a lot of things, and maybe some of us are sitting, but are we sitting at the feet of Jesus? And so my challenge to you today, just even from the get-go, is that we would first be sitting at the feet of Jesus to be receiving what he has for us so that when we do work, we're working in the right things. Let's continue in verse three. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, him whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. John is gonna point out something that is incredibly important for us to understand for the rest of this text. And that's a word that's repeated here a few times, love. Love is the basis for the rest of this text. Now, pay attention to their appeal to Jesus. It's not Jesus, the man who's been following you, Jesus, the man that believes in you, Jesus, the man that loves you. Their appeal is Jesus, the man whom you love. And what a beautiful thing for us to be reminded of this today, that when we come before the Lord, you can appeal to Jesus and say, Lord, him whom you love, and put your name in there. And know that he will be listening and he will be attentive and be reassured just the way John points out in verse 5. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And that's a beautiful reminder for us because now for us, the word love looks the same there. But the reality is they say, Jesus, him whom you love, phileos, that's the word for love there. Him whom you love as a brother. 
Him who has the brotherly love that you have the brotherly love for. And then John points out the way Jesus loves him. The word for love that John points out, that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, agape. It's unconditional pursuing. There's nothing greater than agape love. And that's the kind of love that Jesus gives to his people. And so when we appeal and say, Lord, him whom you love, even sometimes the way we address God's love is so limited in scope. And John has to remind us, no, his love for us is so much greater than just brotherly love. His love is perfect. He wants what's best for us. Let's continue in verse six. So I'm gonna tell you today, that's probably going to be the hardest word for you to accept today, okay? Some of your versions might say, therefore. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. All right, let's read this. Uh, Make sure we're reading this correctly. So Jesus, the one whom you love is sick, come help. And John tells us Jesus loved them unconditionally, pursuing them unconditionally. He, there was nothing he would not do for them. Therefore, he stayed an extra two days. How does that even make sense? How does that even make sense? Well, this is the thing is that his love is the basis for all of our circumstance, for all of our life situations. And that is what we first must understand in this is that because he loves us so much, he's going to give us the greater thing, which is himself. And so maybe you're praying for something today. Maybe you've been asking for healing. Maybe you've been asking for a new job. Maybe you've just been simply asking for your kids to behave. Something as simple as that. And what if Jesus is saying, so I'll wait a couple of days before I come because there is a greater purpose in my love for you than your relief, than your comfort, than simply for you to feel okay in this world. And this is a hard word for us to believe. Will you believe that everything that happens in your life, good and bad, that you've gone through, that you've experienced loss, mourning, pain, suffering, anger, questions, will you believe that this is his love for you, that this indeed is his love for you? Well, John will tell us this is. And so we get our first definition from BFF. It's by his love, okay? By his love. Let's continue in verse seven. Then after he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So it's interesting that last week we saw he momentarily escaped Twice, they were, uh, the Pharisees were trying to kill him, to stone him, and Jesus escapes. And now he tells his disciples, let's go back. And of course, right, being his brothers and being his disciples, his followers, they say, Jesus, if we go back there, they're, they're going to kill you. And Jesus, he gives them some words that are very unexpected. Lord, what are the day and the night? I don't get this. Well, if we look at John as a whole, we will see that there are 21 chapters, and we know that the purpose we've been hearing is that we would believe, that we would believe in. What is it that we would believe? That Jesus is the Son of God, that he came to this earth to save us from our own sin and humanity and our own separation from, from him. He came to restore us to himself, that we would believe this. And Jesus is saying in this text, just quickly explain, is that there are 12 hours in the day, they would work while there were still sunlight and then at night they would rest and this today's text is the last of his greatest miracles and it's probably the biggest one it's in fact it's the one that would incite his death 
in the next few chapters. So John spends the first 11 chapters showing us his miraculous signs and wonders from Jesus, his love, his words, and then he will spend the next 10 chapters leading to the cross, Jesus' death, because that is extremely important. And so Jesus is saying here, this is, well, there's still daylight, there's still work to do. My hour has not yet come and will come. You know, and like many of us, we just don't get it. The disciples, I'm sure, were puzzled. And so the disciples, so we continue in verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. It's interesting, right? He changed, shifts and says, all right, my work's not done. Let's go back and see Lazarus. He's fallen asleep. And they say, Lord... If he's napping, he's going to wake up. We don't need to go wake him up. Like, he'll be fine. And Jesus says plainly in verse 14, and John points this out, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. It's interesting how purposeful Jesus is, right? He says, for your sake, I am glad. The word here for I am glad is I rejoice I, not just, oh, I'm, I'm kind of glad, or, you know, it's, I'm glad this happened. We'll, we'll see how it goes. He says, I rejoice for your sake. And we're, we find two things here from him. There are two things here from him that he has goals and purpose in the way he's doing things. The first one, we go back to verse 4, and I just want to point this out to you. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. If you've ever wanted a mission statement for your life, there's, there's it that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So purpose number one is that God will be glorified through this illness. And the purpose number two he gives is, and for your sake I am glad, so that you may believe. One of our church fathers wrote this about the Gospel of John, specifically this text. He says, many are offended when they see any of those who are pleasing to God suffering anything terrible. Those who are offended by this do not know that those are especially dear to God have it as their lot to endure such things. As we see in the case of Lazarus, who also one of the friends of Christ but was also sick. So he points out to us that those who particularly are close to God, who are indeed loved by God, will endure suffering. And Jesus here says that by his love, he's allowed Lazarus to die for his glory and our faith. Do you believe that everything that happens in your life is from his love for his glory so that your faith may grow in him? This is not an easy thing to receive, especially when you're going through difficult circumstances, but it is such a beautiful reminder that Jesus would tell us with his own words that I, am, I rejoice that this happens so that you would believe. He has something so much greater for us than relief, than comfort, than the momentary pleasures of life. He has something greater. And what is that? It is himself. It is his glory. And so this is the backdrop for the rest of our text. Okay? And here's your BFF. It's by his love, for his glory, forming my faith. And so whenever we come across different circumstances in life, I want you to be able to look back at this text and remember these three letters. Quite simply, this Everything that happens in life is by his love, for his glory, forming my faith. 
That is the purpose of this, is that God would be glorified through our lives, that his love would be revealed in our lives through our difficult circumstances. Now, in the, in the good things, it's easy to praise God, to worship God. And yet, in the hard times, this is the reminder of it. And the rest of the text revolves around these truths. And we're going to encounter now the different characters and the different personalities and how they interact with Jesus. And, Jesus had, and John had to set the backdrop for us because as we enter the scene, now we're going to encounter ourselves. Now we're going to encounter our doubts, our disbeliefs, our angers, our questions. We will encounter all this. But John wanted to remind us first that it is by his love, for his glory, forming our faith. That is the reason these things happen. So let's continue in verse 16. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. You know, we give a lot of grief to doubting Thomas, right? Like, man, he was the doubtful one. The reality is all, the, all, all of them doubted. But he, I respect him because he's just honest, right? He said, unless I put my hands in his side and I see the, the holes in his hands, I won't believe, right? So he's just honest. He just keeps it real. And then when Jesus comes to him, he says, Thomas, come. Put your hand, come and see. And the words of Jesus to him, very clear. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And his response to Jesus at that point in time in John 20 is, my Lord and my God. A little bit later, Jesus will say, I'm going to prepare a place for us. And you know the way, and here we go. You know, all the disciples are probably just sitting around and like, Jesus, that's deep, we get it. Nobody says anything, but here's Thomas. Lord, we don't know where you're going. Can you explain that to us? I don't get it. You know, his honesty. And so what can we take from Thomas? He's honest. And guess what? He's also loyal. He's like Paul Walker to Vin Diesel on Fast and Furious, right? <laughs> like ride or die, ride or die. That's what he's saying right here. And you know what's crazy is that he would ride or die for Jesus. He ends up being the missionary to what we now currently know as India. It's because of Thomas that we now get to pastor with our brothers and sisters in India for the sake of the gospel. And guess what? He would go to India and he would be martyred for the sake of the gospel. That's such a beautiful picture that eventually, even though right now they don't get it, eventually he would believe enough to go and sacrifice his life for the sake of the gospel because Jesus is enough. Let's continue verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Oh, Martha, busy Martha. She had heard and gained some wisdom and some understanding about Jesus while she was working. But like any sister, like any sibling, and your brother just passed away and you've known Jesus can heal. You've been seeing Jesus heal other people. She runs to Jesus. He hasn't even made it to the town yet. She comes to Jesus and said, Lord, if you would have been here. And I almost read a little bit of anger in her. Lord, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. You could have healed him. And that's true. She sees a glimpse of how powerful Jesus is in his, healing, in his healing abilities. But she couldn't yet begin to understand that Jesus could resurrect the dead. And that's you and me, is that we come to Jesus and when we pray and we cry out, Lord, help me, I need this, I need a job, I need a house, I need, and you fill in the blank. It's good. I'm not saying don't do that, but if we stay there, we miss the greater thing, which is Jesus's power and glory and might. And so what Mary is, Martha is saying to Jesus is, Lord, you could have, 
because she can't yet see what he can still do. And many of us come to Jesus and say, Lord, you could have done this. Lord, if you would have given me this. Lord, if you had been intervening in this situation. And that ultimately, our prayers reveal how limited our understanding of how great Jesus is. Because we stay stuck in the could have when Jesus is telling us, can still, I can still do great things. In fact, I will still do great things. In our greatest tragedies, sometimes we get stuck and we get perplexed and that's okay. Jesus is not put off by her, questioning, maybe angrily. He is not. But if we stay here, we will miss the greater and the bigger picture that Jesus has for all of this, which is his glory. So let's see how Jesus responds to her. He says, Jesus, Jesus said to her in verse 23, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said, and this is it, guys. This is like, if you're going to take anything from today, take these verses with you. I am the resurrection and the life. When we hear the word resurrection, it's an event, right? There's a resurrection. And Jesus is saying is, I am the resurrection and the life. This is the greater thing for us, is himself. But for there to be resurrection, what must first happen? There has to be death. And that's the part that none of us want. We want to experience God's glory without any sacrifice. And some of that is because we truly don't believe his glory is that great. We want to experience eternity in heaven. But would you still want to experience eternity in heaven even if his glory was not present? That's the hard part of coming to Jesus with anger, with needs, is that sometimes we forget and we miss that he truly is the greater thing we could ever want in life. And that's going to mean putting ourselves to death on a daily basis, dying to ourselves. What a beautiful picture of that today that we got to witness in baptism that we would renounce our own life, our old life, and we would be raised to newness in Christ. And that's the good news of the gospel, is that we would every day be put to death our lives that so easily get entangled in the day-to-day, -day, and that we would be raised up and experience Jesus' glory every single day, and that that would transform us, that that would ultimately lead us to truly believing that everything that in this world happens is by his love for his glory forming our faith. And so Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And here it is. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection? Do you believe that Jesus is the life? Do you believe that if you die to yourself, you will find something greater in him, something greater than momentary relief and comfort? Do you believe that he is the life for you, for me, for our church, for our city. Do you believe this? I, like you, want to say, yes, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Because as you look at my prayers and you look at my life, sometimes I'm not really saying I believe this. Sometimes I'm not really living like I believe this because I'm still pursuing other things that are good. I'm not saying don't pursue good things. But if we put that above pursuing the greatest thing, Jesus, then all of a sudden we get to see that we really have unbelief in our lives. And Jesus has to point that out in us. And look at Martha. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. It's amazing that we pay attention to Martha here. She's got great theology, good Christology, 
son of God, came from heaven, you're the Messiah. Even good eschatology, my brother will rise again in the resurrection. And yet she's missing belief. It's amazing that many of us could sit here and study scripture. I included going through seminary, dedicating myself and my time to this, and yet still have unbelief. I can have great theology and still have unbelief. We can have great teaching and still not truly believe Jesus is who he says he is. Not just intellectually affirm it, but truly affirm it in our hearts and in our lives. For you see, he's reminding us his goal is his glory for our faith. That's interesting as I was comparing those two goals he had in mind for this text, we say for Jesus and for good, for his glory, for our faith. What if we were a church that ultimately lived that out? What would if we were a church that ultimately showed people what it was like to have Jesus as the greatest thing in our life? Not well-behaved kids, not a good house, not a good car, a good job, all good things. Please don't hear me say that that is bad. But that when people meet us, they would say, what is the greatest thing about Jose? What is the thing he loves most in his life? And that there would be no doubt in anyone's mind that it is my Lord and Savior, Jesus. There is no doubt in anyone's mind that that is the greatest thing I want to affirm, is that he is my Lord and my Savior and everything else, like I, call, I, I count it as rubbish comparing knowing God. And that is what Jesus is trying to get us to understand here. So let's continue in today's text. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to Jesus, to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Second person comes to Jesus. But do you notice the difference between Martha and Mary? Martha comes, Lord, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And Mary, she's, I think, reminded of the time she learned at Jesus' feet. And she runs to him with the same question, probably with the same anger, with the same mourning, with the same frustration. And what does she do? She falls at his feet. Where do you go when you are stressed, when you are angry, when you are upset? Do you go toe-to-toe with Jesus? Lord, if you had been here, or do you fall at his feet and say, Lord, if you would have been here, because you know that he is still in control, and so you acknowledge him by being at his feet. And guess what? Jesus is not put off by either one of these. Regardless of where you're at, remember I said we can identify with multiple of these characters. Whether you feel like you can go toe-to-toe or whether you feel like you're at his feet and you're still asking, Lord, why, Jesus has an answer. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now, we're about to read a tech, a verse that's really popular, right? It's the shortest text that we know. And, and and I think a lot of us think we know what it means. But I'm, I'm going to have to challenge you right now and, and tell you, I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> For you see, in this text, we find that there's this mourning process. Jesus shows up on the fourth day. Their mourning process was seven days long. You and I don't have context for that. We go to a funeral and maybe it's an hour, maybe two hours. Uh, Aretha Franklin passed away a few weeks ago and they had an entire day um, funeral and, 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 
And people were flipping out. How are they going to spend an entire day remembering this lady? Imagine their culture, seven days. And the fourth day was like, you're past halfway. There's no coming back from that. There's so much significance to that. And they hired people, professionals, because there was a sign of, of, of solidarity. We're going to mourn with those who mourn. We're going to cry with those who cry. And so they would hire people, professional wailers, people that would yell and scream and cry. And this was a way of mourning. And some of you are saying, I know people that would have probably killed it, you know, at that profession, <laughs> right? Professional whalers. I know a few too. I know a few too. But they would hire these people to mourn together, right? To, to, because this was an entire process. And so here we find Martha and Mary weeping, the people around them weeping, the other people that, that had come that maybe they had hired weeping, and so it would be easy to think Jesus wept the way they wept. But our text here, again, remember, details matter. John says that Jesus was deeply troubled or deeply moved in his spirit. The word there for deeply moved is not just, oh, man, he was, he was kind of stressed, he was worried about it, or, man, he, he was sad. No, the word deeply moved there is, is indignant. It's, it's full of anger, the, the literal translation is snorting with anger. Why would Jesus be snorting with anger in his spirit? And it says he was greatly troubled. The greatly troubled translation there is that he allowed himself to experience this. Why? And, and John is about to repeat it again, but why would Jesus be deeply troubled, snorting with anger amidst the people who were crying and mourning over Lazarus? You know, Hebrews tells us that we have a great high priest who can sympathize with every experience we have. And so I, I do believe there is an element where he's mourning with those who mourn. But, but I think he's also looking around and seeing the crowd. People who have followed him, people who love him, people who have sat at his feet and learned and yet still don't get it. I think he's looking at the people around there that are part of the crowd that don't have a personal relationship with him. And he is seeing the unbelief. I think he's looking around and seeing past that and seeing the generation that will crucify him. I think he's looking ahead of time and seeing you and me and knowing that without him, we are destined to hell. The word that John uses for death here is not just physical death. There's an undertone of eternal suffering in hell. And I think Jesus sees that unbelief will lead to eternal suffering in hell. And he snorts with anger because there is this disbelief. They still don't get it and they still don't see who he is. And so now, now it's about to get real for them. 34, and he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And there it is, Jesus wept. You know, it's interesting for me to think through when I feel like I let Jesus down the most or if I act or react or think or, or I say some things that are not right and I feel like that's when Jesus is really angry with me. And yet in this text, Jesus gets angry when there's disbelief. Will we be people that surround Jesus, that are around Jesus, that see Jesus, that hear about Jesus, that know Jesus, that have interacted with Jesus and yet we still don't believe? This is not an easy message to receive. And this is why we sing, Holy Spirit, help us. Your Lord, your glory is what we long for. But really, do we long for it? Are we willing to sacrifice to it? Are we willing to die for it? Because if we're not, Jesus wept so that we could have access to him. He wept because of our unbelief. 
That should stir us and move us to think that our Lord and Savior cried over our unbelief. And that's how valuable his love is for us, that he will give us faith. Let's continue. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? The crowd don't get it. They're watching him. They're saying the same thing. Could have. They're missing what he can still do and what he's about to do. And so let's continue in 38. Then Jesus deeply moved. We're about to land, so I know we're getting a little restless maybe, but let's land. Then Jesus deeply moved again, snorting with anger, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he had been dead four days. Jesus shows up to the scene. Ah, they still don't get it. They're still unbelief. Gets to the stone and says, remove it. And Martha, still in her unbelief, says, not, all right, Lord, we're going to listen. We're going to obey. She says, Lord, he's going to smell bad, right? Jesus is not bothered by bad smells. I've often wondered what it was like to walk with Jesus when he approached leopards and he approached the sick and he approached the people in the streets. All the, can you imagine all the smells that he, he had to encounter? He was never bothered by that because there was something greater that he was revealing. And so Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Now pay attention, he doesn't say, did I not tell you that if you believed, I would raise your brother up again? He doesn't say, did I not tell you that if you believed, I'd give you what you wanted? He does not say, did I tell you if you believed, you're gonna be okay? He says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And this is the thing, his glory is truly our gift. Do you believe that? His glory is truly our greatest gift. That's what we will experience in eternity is his great glory, his majesty, his holiness. The reason why the angels kneel down before him and cry, holy, holy, holy. The reason why everybody that's confronted with God in the Old Testament falls on their knees like they're dead. His glory is great and majestic, and it is above everything we could ever need, want, desire, have momentarily on this earth. And that's what Jesus says to her. Did I not tell you that if you believed, not that you would get everything you want, not that you have your better life now, not that everything would work out great. If you believed, you would see the glory of God. So let's finish out. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he said that, these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with the linen strips and his face wrapped and a cloth, with the cloth, Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Can you imagine the scene, right? Like this is, I try to like, as we go to Halloween, this is what I envision. It's like a mummy coming out, right? It's just, it's just crazy to think this is God's glory. This is his power and his might. And I also think our brother Lazarus, I mean, he woke up. You know, he had died. He was in heaven. And I feel like he woke up and he was like, please don't tell me I'm back. Like, this is, you know, right? Like, you're just in heaven. Um, so I'm sure he was like, please don't tell me I'm back. And I, anyways, um, 
final character we encounter is Lazarus. He's dead in the tomb. And maybe you're here today and you feel empty. You feel dead inside. You feel like, man, I'm going through all the motions, all these things in my life, going right, going wrong. And yet there's something missing. There's something dead inside me. And it's crazy. Lazarus is Jesus' friend, right? And he loved him so much that he would allow him to die because he would reveal his glory through Lazarus. Are you the kind of friend to Jesus that you'd be willing to die to reveal the glory of God to this world? Are you the kind of friend and son and daughter to God the Most High that no matter what comes through your life, no matter what circumstances come to your life, that you would be willing to say, Lord, whatever it is, if it's for your glory, I'm gonna trust you. It's not going to be easy. This message is not easy. There will be trial. There will be suffering. In this world, you will have suffering. That's a guarantee. But take heed because Jesus has overcome the world. And through our suffering, God's glory is displayed. Through our way we suffer, through the way we experience God's glory, God is glorified. So how do we show the world that we truly desire God's glory above everything else? It's simply, there's no way around it. It's simple. It's just being in his presence, pursuing him for who he is and not what he can give to us. Enjoying his glory so much that that we have to tell people, come and see that the Lord is good. Come experience what I am experiencing. Despite my mourning, despite my anger, despite my circumstances, God's glory is so great that he carries me through all of life. And so I can truly believe that God's great glory and love is revealed in our greatest suffering so that we would have greater faith. Are you willing to pay the cost to see his glory expressed in your life, in this church, in this city, in the world? Are you willing to lay down your life to see his glory and allow his glory to be revealed to all those around us? And this is my encouragement to you. Despite our own belief, he loves us. His love is agape, is never ending, it's pursuing, it's constantly after us. The fact that you are here is his gracious love. The fact that you would get to hear today's text and message is his gracious love to you, that there's something deeper and better for you than simply your momentary relief. So maybe you found yourself today as Martha, angry, upset, not knowing what's going on, as Mary, at his feet, trusting, but still angry, questioning, wondering. Maybe you're like the crowd. You've kind of heard of Jesus. You come to church. You know people that know Jesus. You've heard of him. Maybe you're like Lazarus. You're empty and dead on the inside. You're in a tomb. Or maybe you're like the risen Lazarus, which I hope to be. Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. My prayer is that we would be people that would walk, not bound by the things of this world, but truly and rightfully completely encompassed by the glory of God and that that would be what drives our motivation to live, our motivation to share the gospel, our motivation to be a church. It's truly just to see his kingdom come. It's by his love, for his glory, forming our faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. Your love is so perfect. So many things we endure in life we don't understand and maybe we will never understand But that's okay because we're reminded of your beautiful character today that you love us, that you are sovereign and in control, 
that you wait two days, and that's on purpose, so that we would see your glory displayed so that we would believe. Father, help our troubled hearts. Help our wandering minds. Help our troubled spirits that question and wonder, Lord, why? Allow us to be honest like Thomas and come to you and say, Lord, why? Like Martha and Mary, Lord, why? But allow us to be people that when you say, did I not tell you if you believed you would see the glory of God, that we would say, yes, Lord. Your glory truly is what I long for. Let us be people that live out of this reality to serve our city, to serve our families, to serve the nations, to share the gospel, to reveal your glory. Let that be our mission in life. And in the parts where we don't believe, Father, help us because we want to believe. We're humbled, we love you, and we're grateful. In your name we pray.